I hope you're doing well. It is so good to have you at Willow with us this weekend. My name is Sean, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Uh, For those of you who were able to to spend some time with family, friends, loved one in this crazy COVID season, I just hope you had a very rich, meaningful, very memorable time with those that you love. Uh, For me, this Thanksgiving was unlike any other we've ever experienced since that we've been married. Uh, Really, for the last 16 years, my wife and I, we've even traveled to my family's house for Thanksgiving, or we traveled to her family's house for Thanksgiving. So this is the very first time that we haven't traveled. And so we were left to figure out Thanksgiving on our own. Now, here's the challenge for us is I don't cook, and my wife doesn't cook either. And so in preparation for Thanksgiving, we did a little bit of a Google search to find some shortcuts. Maybe you might call them life hacks to see if we can figure out how to prepare a Thanksgiving uh, meal really well. So I found a couple of things I thought I'd pass along to you that even though if you didn't implement these these Thanksgiving, maybe these could serve you in future years as well. Here's, here's the first thing that I learned that Google taught me. If you want to make the perfect pie crust, A life hack, a little shortcut on how to do that is to take a pearl necklace and use it to imprint the exterior of that that pie. It makes the perfect pie crust. It's it's amazing. Uh, Here's another life hack that I found that if you're preparing a lot of potatoes and uh, you don't want to wash them one by one by hand, instead, if you want to save a little time, just put them all in the top rack of your dishwasher, turn it on a little cycle, and voila, uh, you got a bunch of clean potatoes. Uh, Now, this last life hack I want to show you, hopefully you won't ever find yourself in this particular situation, but in my household, we're a little bit of a mischievous household. We like to play pranks on each other, and I've always thought that that possibly if I were to fall asleep, like take a nap uh, after a a heavy Thanksgiving dinner, and if my 13-year-old were to zip tie my hands together, i got to figure out how to get out. And so I hope you never find yourself in the situation, but if you ever find yourself with zip-tied hands, YouTube actually taught me a life hack on how to get out. So the key is, first, you got to make sure it is as tight as possible. And then supposedly, what you do is you take your hands up high, you bring them down as quick as you can, you throw your elbows out. In theory, there's enough force to actually break the zip tie. I really hope this works. Here we go. There you go. It's a life hack on how to get out. So hopefully you don't have to use that. But if you do, sometimes these Thanksgiving life hacks can be really, really helpful to us. But you know, there's sometimes in life that we can find ourselves a little tied up. But, but we believe that the good news of Jesus is intended to truly set us free, that we can experience freedom. Now, there's a lot of things that we, we desire to experience freedom in our life. But I, I find probably more often than not, there's so many decisions we make in life that are really intended to either preserve our happiness or maybe to maximize our happiness. You think about all the decisions we make, that we choose whether to take the job or to not take the job based on what we think will make us the most happy. Uh, We think about do we date him or her or dump him or her based on what we think might make us the most happy. Or we decide, you know, do do we eat the donut or do we... We eat the donut because we know that the donut's going to make us more happy. But there's so many different decisions in life that we make because we believe that it will help us maintain or certainly maximize our happiness in life. And sometimes we can buy into the myth that if we just have what we want, then we will be happy. Yet at the same time, we know that's not true. Because we see so many people around us that seemingly have everything that they want, but yet they're still a void in their own experience. And here's what I've discovered in life. That, that happiness is not maximized when we have what we want. Instead, maximus is, uh, ha- happiness is maximized when we learn to appreciate what we already have. It's not just about getting what we want. It's about appreciating what we already have. 
I mean, think about the word uh, appreciate, uh, the word appreciation. Not only does it mean gratitude, if you think about something that appreciates, something that appreciates, it goes up in value. If my home appreciates, it goes up in value. And think about those two things together. When I appreciate what I have, the very thing that I have, it goes up in value in my life. When I appreciate my marriage, it gives me greater meaning. It gives me greater value in life. When I appreciate my kids, it it brings greater value and enriches my life. That when I learn to appreciate whatever I have, that's when I experience the maximum amount of happiness and joy in my journey. And here's what I discovered. In many ways, gratitude or, or appreciation, it is a spiritual life hack when it comes to happiness. That again, it's not just about getting what we want, it's about appreciating what we already have. And there's this refrain that I've, I've found to be true in my own life, and it's this, that when we, when, we learn to, when we learn to appreciate life, we learn to thank the giver. And the more that we thank the giver, the more we learn to appreciate life. And it's that principle that's expanded on so much in this, this, this story that's told by Luke in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. It's really a story about appreciation, a story about gratitude that was in Jesus' firsthand experience with those that he met on this journey. And so join me with me in, in this story. Luke chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 11. It reads this. It says, As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, now leprosy in the ancient world was this, it was this horrible disease. Uh, not only was it incredibly physically painful with sores all over someone's body, socially and spiritually, it was also a really challenging disease. Because in the ancient world, it was, it was seen as very contagious and they didn't want those who were leprous to, to be able to infect someone else. And so anybody with leprosy was forced to live away from their family, away from their friends, outside of the city. They became complete social outcasts. Uh, people who had leprosy weren't allowed to attend the temple. They weren't allowed to worship God in the way that everybody else in the community was, was allowed to worship. They became social and spiritual outcasts. Not only that, that anytime somebody who had leprosy saw someone else, they almost had to have a megaphone, uh, like a billboard advertisement of their own disease that they had to wear torn clothes, messed hair. They had this mantle over their mouth. They had to shout out in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, to make sure that everybody knew you got to stay away from me. Now, as physically painful as the disease must have been, I would argue that it possibly was even more emotionally painful. It was such an isolating, isolating disease. And that's what's so fascinating in the story that, that these lepers, they, they cry out to Jesus. Again, they, it says they cry out from a distance because that's what the law said that they had to do. They cry out from a distance, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, what I love about this story is that they, they saw receptivity in Jesus, that they found approachability in Jesus, that in many ways, these, these lepers, they brought Jesus their mess in hopes that they might receive his mercy. And I think there's something when it comes to the, 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 the story that we find here, that if we lean into the story of these lepers, that we might learn something in our own journey as well. That in these lepers, you find that they, they just come to Jesus and they ask Jesus for mercy. And I think that if you and I are going to experience the fullness of life and all the joy and happiness that we can experience, that I think that's the first step that we take, that we learn to be people, much like these lepers, that we just simply, we just ask Jesus for mercy. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever had like a food craving, like a, a really serious food craving. Uh, but I ran across a website that, that talked about people's most embarrassing moments as it relates to food. And there was one in particular that really jumped out at me that I thought was quite comical. Here's what somebody wrote. They said, I once ate almost an entire bucket of those cheese balls. And then I sat there in my orange shame, reflecting on the choices that I've made. To keep my fingers from getting orange and gross, I ate them with a shame spoon. And I remember reading that, and I can, I can laugh a little bit about that because uh, we can laugh off an overeating type of scenario. But it's that last, that last line of eating with a shame spoon that I think that sometimes we can do that in life. And certainly I can laugh off overeating cheese balls, but it's things that really are shameful in our journey that really stick to us are a little bit more difficult to laugh off. Uh, One of a a well-known author named Brene Brown, she does a lot of work with vulnerability, but she also has written a lot about shame. And as she describes shame and and the different things that that sometimes we experience shame around, she'll say that, that shame is when someone asks you when you're due and you're not really expecting Shame is when you receive a second or a third DUI. Shame is when I find myself addicted to internet pornography and and I I just can't stop even though I want to. And she draws a distinction between what we describe as guilt and what we would describe as shame. Guilt is when I feel like I've made a mistake and I feel bad for making a mistake. Shame is when I feel bad because I believe I am the mistake. uh, Guilt is when I feel like I've done something wrong. Shame is when I come to believe that I am wrong. What's interesting about this issue of shame is, again, I I feel like it likely was the scenario of these 10 lepers that called out and cried out to Jesus. They were not just dealing with a physical disease. They were dealing with, with an emotional and a spiritual challenge as well. And no doubt about it, the, the, the leprous condition they found themselves in created a world and an anchor of shame. And even in their shame, they found a way to ask Jesus for mercy. But I think that we can likely find quite a bit in common with these lepers as we think about our own journey. If you think about uh, those who experienced leprosy, again, kind of connecting this shame to cheese balls. I've got a couple of buckets of cheese balls. There's different ways that we experience shame. Here's the first. Sometimes we experience shame in the context of what I would say physical shame. Again, that was the truth when it came to these lepers, that there was a sense with their condition that couldn't be hidden, that there were rashes all over the bodies. They, they couldn't hide the shame. They, they wore it everywhere that they went. And I think about sometimes the physical shame that we experience as people, that we, we look in the mirror and we feel like I'm, I'm too weak or I'm too small or, or I'm too bulk or I, I'm, I'm whatever, that we look into the mirror and all that we see is, is everything wrong with us. And we experience all kinds of physical shame, feeling like we don't quite add up and we find ourselves eating from this spoon of shame. I think if you look at the the leper's story, you might also feel like that they struggled from what I would describe as social shame. Um, As I mentioned earlier, just the disease of leprosy would have caused you to live outside of the city, that you would not have been able to socially interact with even friends, loved ones, family. You, you You couldn't interact with other people. You would have been completely an outcast. You would have been isolated. And no doubt they would have experienced some level of, of social shame. And we experience similar types of things. That sometimes we feel inferior. We feel like we don't match up. We feel like if somebody really knew who we really were, that they would find us to be a a fake or a fraud. 
sometimes we feel relational shame because, because we feel so broken. We feel like that we blew up. We feel like we ran out or maybe we stayed too long. Sometimes, sometimes social shame looks like we feel like we're a failure as a parent. We feel like we're a disappointment as a child. We feel like we're hopeless as a spouse. And we keep eating from the spoon of social shame. I think sometimes if we look at the, the story of the lepers, we might also recognize that they likely experience some form of spiritual shame. And the reason I say that is, again, not only were they an outcast from people, they weren't allowed to worship. And so the message was that you're actually not okay even to connect with God, that there's something wrong with you that, that allows you or doesn't allow you to even connect with your creator, that you're, you're disconnected from him. It was the common belief in the ancient world that God was likely punishing you by giving you that disease, that, that he was cutting you off. He didn't want anything to do with you. And so there was not only a social isolation, there likely would have been a spiritual isolation as well. And I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, uh, I've interacted with people that, that feel sometimes very similar things, that God is disappointed to them, that God doesn't like them, that God is angry with them, that God is in somehow cutting them off for whatever it is that has happened or whatever it is that they've done. And we find ourselves experiencing this, this spiritual shame. What's fascinating about a lot of us is we have no problem getting our minds around that, that God loves everybody in the world, but sometimes we have a hard time fully embracing that God radically loves me. And so we face physical or social or spiritual shame much like these 10 lepers. Now, what I love about these lepers is they did something pretty unlikely. Because if you think about what shame typically does, is shame typically drives us into secret. Shame doesn't like to be known. It usually causes us to hide. But what I love about these lepers is even though they were facing this physical challenge, even though they were facing this disease, even though they were somehow weighted down by the shame, it did not stop them from crying out to God and asking for his mercy. And look how Jesus responds. Luke chapter 17, verse 14 says this. It says, Jesus looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So good. It says that as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Here, here's, here's what's going on here. Jesus says, hey, go show yourselves to the priest. Here's what's behind that statement. In the, in the ancient world, if your leprosy in some way took care of itself and, and you found yourself without the disease, even though you had it before. If you somehow experienced healing, what you would do is you would go present yourself to the priest. He'd check you over. If in fact you no longer had the disease, he would be able to reorient you back into society. You'd be able to come back into the city. You'd be allowed to come back into the temple. You would, you would in, in a sense, you would be grafted back in. And so in order to experience that, you would have to be healed. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't say, be healed. Instead, he says, go show yourselves to the priests. Act as though you are already healed. And it says, on their way, they experienced healing. They began to walk in healing even before they experienced it. It's a fascinating principle for you and I. Because there's something about when we ask God for mercy, when we ask God for forgiveness, we ask God for grace, we ask God for mercy, God will always give us grace. God will always give us mercy and forgiveness. And so we can even begin to walk in that grace and walk in that healing and walk in that forgiveness. And we'll experience that healing along the way. Uh, it's just one example of many all throughout scripture that healing happens actually as a part of the journey. 
that we can begin to walk in the new life even as healing begins to take place as we walk to this new journey that God has given us. And so if you're asking for mercy with an addiction, take a step, go to a meeting, find a sponsor, and you'll find healing along the journey. If you're asking for mercy and related to your marriage, it's okay to seek out counsel. Begin to live in the way that God would call us to live as a great husband or a, or a great wife. And as we do so, we can find healing in the journey. If you're asking for a miracle, we can begin to step into whatever it is that, that we're believing God for. And in the journey, many times, is where we find healing. And so one of the most important things as we think about really what it, what it means to really maximize what God would have for us, the first step is this. We have to be people who learn to ask Jesus for mercy. That the more we thank the giver, the more we will recognize life as a gift. And the more we recognize life as a gift, the more we will thank the giver. And so we ask Jesus for mercy. And the second piece is this. We learn to give thanks intentionally. We learn to give thanks intentionally. Now, I mentioned earlier that my oldest son turned 13 over the summer. And I give him a little bit of a hard time because I talk about him being a demanding teenager. But the truth is, uh, he's a great kid. He's an amazing, uh, amazing young man. But I remember a, a moment, it was, it was a couple of months back. It was actually quite a few months back that, that we spent a day together. And uh, we went out to lunch together. You remember those days that we actually got to be inside of a restaurant eating. And so uh, we, we were out, out to lunch together and, and uh, we had a great meal. And at the end of the meal, he said, dad, hey, can I, can I get a dessert? I said, certainly you can have a dessert. And so we just ate together. We laughed together. It was great. And at the very end, he saw the, the amount that the bill was going to cost. And he thought, oh, wow. He said, thanks, dad, for dinner. I said, no problem. Uh, a little bit later in the day, he asked if uh, one of his buddies could come over, and it's actually a friend that I like a lot. And so it's a kid that's always welcome into our home. And so one of his buddies, I went and picked him up, brought him over to the house. They, they got to play together. They had a great time together. And then a little bit later that night, when I was putting Levi to bed, he said, hey, Dad, can you just lay with me for a little while? So I said, of course. And so I laid down next to him, and we talked for a little while. And, and as a part of the conversation, he said, Dad, everything that I've asked you to do today, you've done. And I kind of thought about it and said, I, I, I guess you're right. And then it kind of occurred to me, it's kind of what I always do. I always want to be a dad that responds to my son and does my best to say yes to the things that I can say yes to. The difference was not that I just started doing things for my son. The difference was that he now recognizes it and he's old enough to begin to see it and he's old enough to finally acknowledge it and begin to give thanks to it. Now, what's fascinating about this and what it's done to my relationship with my son is it hasn't changed my love for my son. I've loved my son even in his most ungrateful moments. But there's something about when he expresses gratitude that it, it, it enriches my relationship with my son. It has brought new life and, and new meaning. In, in, a, in a sense, it's become this life hack that has it's unlocked things in our journey. It is appreciated. It, is, it has brought greater value to our relationship. Now look what happens in the story with the lepers. Look, look what happens as it continues. Verse 15, it says this. It says, one of them, meaning one of these lepers. One of them, when he, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he'd done. This man was a Samaritan. 
Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Hold on to that. Your faith has healed you. Now you get the sense when you read this that there were 10 lepers that experienced healing from their leprosy. There was only one that returned to intentionally give thanks. Now what's interesting about this is you read it, Jesus doesn't come across as just surprised. To me, Jesus comes across as a little bit angry. You almost get the sense that that a lack of gratitude doesn't sit well with the heart of God. And you kind of look throughout all of scripture and you see this when, when God's people, when they, when they grumble, when they kind of just look back, when they don't express any kind of gratitude for what God's done, many times God actually removes his blessing in some way. A lack of gratitude doesn't sit well with the heart of God, but when we give thanks to God, it actually draws us close into connection with God. And what this one individual experience was unlike anything that the other, uh, uh, the other lepers experienced. Now, that, that last phrase when it says, your faith has healed you. Uh, you don't pick this up in the English translation, but in the original language, the word that's translated healed there is most often translated uh, saved or salvation. And so it could be translated, your faith has saved you. Your faith has given you salvation. You can get the sense of this. There were 10 lepers that were physically healed that day, but only one that experienced spiritual healing. There were 10 lepers that cried out to Jesus, but there was only one that found himself at the feet of Jesus. There were, there were 10 lepers who asked God for help, but there was one that only experienced a, a refreshed and a restored relationship with God. There was only one that experienced true healing, true life, true meaning. There was only one that experienced life as a true gift. The truth is when you experience life as a gift, you will learn to thank the giver. And when you learn to thank the giver, the more you will experience life as a gift. It was years ago, I, I ran across a story about a guy by the name of Garth Callahan. And uh, Garth was a fantastic dad who really loved his daughter. One of the ways that, that he expressed his love for the, his daughter is every single day as he packed her lunch for school, he would write a note to her on, on a napkin and he would place it in, in her lunch. Uh, Garth just saw life as a gift and he just wanted to make sure that he shared that gift with his daughter and that she also recognized life as a gift in a very real way. And he wrote all kinds of letters. He, he wrote letters like, like this that just said, Emma, that was his daughter's name. Dear Emma, you're awesome. Just written on a napkin, put it in her lunch. Uh, there's another one that said, Dear Emma, keep your head up. You are so much better than you believe. I promise. And he would write these letters every single day And then a day came where Garth found out that he had cancer and he battled cancer. He defeated it a couple different times, but the cancer, it kept returning so often that he felt like I might not make it to my daughter's graduation. And I want my daughter to continue to experience these notes. And so he set out to write 800 individual notes so that even if he wasn't around, his daughter would have one of these messages in her lunch so that she could continue to experience life as a gift, even if he wasn't around to share that with her personally. Well, here's the good news about Emma. Uh, Not only does she still have all of those notes, she actually still has her dad as well. Uh, Emma's now a junior in college. Uh, Her dad, though he's had multiple bouts of cancer, is still along at her side and both get to experience and both will share that life is such a gift 
There's just something about gratitude that has this ability to be a life hack that just unlocks this this, this meaning of life. It allows us to experience and, and maximize happiness and joy no matter what our circumstances are. When we see life as a gift, we continue to thank the giver. And the more we learn to thank the giver, the more we will learn to experience life as a gift. And it kind of made me think that what if God were to write a napkin note to you, what might he say? I think he might say, it's okay to let go of the shame. I want to give you my mercy. I think he might say, keep your head up. You're better than you think you are. I promise. I think that God would say, I know you believe that I love everybody, but I want you to know I love you unconditionally. And when we begin to see life as a gift, we learn to thank the giver. And the more we thank the giver, the more we'll experience life as a gift. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. And God, we thank you for the gift that you've given us in life. And Father, so often we journey through life and we fail to pause and truly give thanks for all that you are and all that you've done and all you continue to do. But Father, may we fully embrace this spiritual practice of gratitude. And may we embrace it in such a way that it really becomes a life hack, that it opens up the possibility, the endless possibilities you've given us to experience the fullness of life, no matter what our circumstances So Father, help us experience the fullness of gratitude so that we can experience the fullness of the gift and most importantly, the giver of all gifts. We say thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.